What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Bruce Irving. This is the SPM Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another podcast episode. I am excited for my conversation today with the Square Pie guys out of San Francisco. This is a new concept. They started with a pop-up, and then they just recently opened up their brick and mortar. I think that was a few months ago now, but it was only about a week or two when we did record this podcast that they've been open. We talk about the transition from getting started with the concept having a pop-up to validate that concept, and then opening a brick and mortar and how they did that. They did actually take funding as well. So we talk about that. We talk about how they got the money and then how they distribute the profits to the people who invested in their business. We talk about what it's like to run a business in San Francisco, which is very high in wage and expenses. And we also talk about like what it's like to, what they what happened in their business that was different than what they planned? I always say that uh, having a business plan is great, but you could probably throw it right in the trash once you open because what you are going to actually experience in your business is going to be much different than what you write down on a piece of paper beforehand. It's good to be prepared, but it's also good for you to be able to pivot because the things that you think are going to happen don't always happen, and everything that you don't expect to happen ends up happening. So we talk a lot about that on this podcast episode as well. Two things before we get started. Our mastermind group. If you're a hands-on operator, join our mastermind group. You're going to learn everything that stays up to date with marketing, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, email marketing, Facebook Messenger bots. All of that stuff, super cheap. It's inside of our uh, mastermind group, which you get access to our Facebook group and all of our past webinars. Go check that out, smartpizzamarketing.com forward slash mastermind. And also... Before we get into today's episode, I have to say thanks to our sponsor, Square Payroll. Listen, when I was operating our pizzerias, payroll was something that gave me a headache every single week. It was expensive, it was unorganized, and it was hard for me to manage. That's why I teamed up with Square Payroll. Here's the thing. It's only $29 per month plus $5 per W-2 employee, and it comes with so many cool features like If you use the Square POS, it integrates all of the time cards right into the payroll service so you don't have to do that. And it also integrates with any Square time card partner. It also takes care of all of your annual and quarterly payroll tax withholdings, payments, and filings at no extra cost. And it has fair and flexible pricing and it grows with your business. Just $29 a month plus $5 per employee. So as you grow, it grows with you. You don't have to pay all of that right up front. Square Payroll offers benefits as well like health insurance, 401k, workers' compensation, and pre-tax spending. And again, three months for free for Smart Pizza Marketing podcast listeners. You got to go to square.com forward slash go forward slash pizza to get three months for free. Only if you go to that website. Again, That's square.com forward slash go forward slash pizza. Organize your payroll for an affordable price with Square Payroll. All right, well, thanks to Square. Let's get into today's podcast episode. I think you're going to enjoy this one. It's a longer episode. It's like 45, 50 minutes long. Tons of nuggets, tons of information. Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this podcast episode. So let's get right into it. Hey guys, welcome back to the Smart Pizza Marketing Podcast. I'm with Mark from Square Pie Guys Pizza in San Francisco. We're gonna talk pizza business, opening a new shop, brick and mortar. His partner, Danny, is going to join us in a few minutes. He's doing some training over there. You can hear him in the background. But Mark, what's up, man? Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, excited to be on the podcast. So I've been following you for since I started doing pizza. That's great. So when did you start doing pizza? You're making me feel a little old there, buddy. <laughs> uh, started summer or spring of 2017 in my house. Where was that? Where, where did you grow up? Uh, well, this wasn't where I grew up. I was still in California. I grew okay. up in in Long Island, so okay. home with a grandma slice. Nice. Where was your? How did you get from Long Island to California? Um, well, it's through Seattle, through uh, a series of uh, relationships and jobs. Okay, cool. So now you're in San Francisco. You started making yeah. pizza, Square Pie Guys Pizza. I've seen I've seen you guys, and I've followed you on Instagram. Your pies look amazing, by the way. So hey, that's, what's up, Bruce? Good, yeah. Hey, what's up? Danny? Yeah, nice welcome, to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Welcome to the podcast. So give us a little story about how you guys got started together. Uh, great question. Yeah. So I used to work at an innovation agency. So it was a restaurant consultancy that did work with kind of scaled food brands. And as I was interviewing, Mark grew up with my director, my old coworker, and he was just getting into pizza. So as part of the like, San Francisco team building exercise. They had this like tech guy who's getting into pizza host like a 
make your own pizza night. That coincided with when I was getting hired. So I met him before I hired at my last job. Yeah. He was like, oh, I'm from New York. I got flour on my hands. I was like, all right, this guy's cool enough. <laughs> uh, that kind of like spurred the, kicked out the friendship. Yeah. Um, and then there's a series of other events that kind of led to, to where we are now. Yeah. Danny, where are you originally from? I'm from Seattle. Okay. My parents are from New York, but I'm from Seattle. Okay, cool. So what did you guys start? Like, what was the first concept you guys had to sell pizza? And then how did that get started? I mean, it, it was yeah. Mark. Like, yeah. Mark had a pop-up. Yeah, so I... I started making pizza, like I was saying, that in that house in Berkeley, and then in a house, in 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 a house, yeah, like just selling it in a, from a house, not selling it from a okay. house, but just having like basically using all sorts of different friend groups to like taste test. Never, never really with the goal of like doing a pizza place, but slowly, not slowly actually, like over a month, just basically falling in love with the process of making pizza and serving it to people, and then seeing that people are like, "Hey, this is actually really good pizza." And then asking our mutual friend, his old director, hey, to open a restaurant with me because I was like, my current career is boring and I would love to do something that I enjoy doing day in, day out. And my friend was just like, you're crazy, go work in a restaurant. So I started then getting weekend shifts, kept my day job, got weekend shifts at a bunch of restaurants in San Francisco, and then tried to push it to start opening a pop-up. And then I had this pop-up for a while doing round pizza and then all, all the while, Danny and I were becoming better friends. And then we just started talking about doing us where the choice style pizza could pop up. Just because, like, it was getting bigger across the country. Yeah. Uh, a couple spots in Denver and New York that are really big. And no one was really doing that out here in the Bay Area. Um, and this is a great city for them with a lot of really incredible restaurants and restaurateurs. So it just seemed like a no-brainer to try to establish the square pizza, like, brand and, in the Bay Area. So when you were doing those pop-ups, how would you describe those? Like to me, like how would you get it, the pop-up? Where would you, how would you find where to go? Like how did, how did that whole process look? What did it look like? Um, it's it twofold. I just, one of the places that one of the first restaurants that hired me to work weekends there had a brick and mortar, but I'd started at a wine bar in a pretty like popular area of the city with a couple of really nice restaurants and wine bars and cocktail bars, like a good neighborhood with a lot of nightlife. Um, and this place was called the Vinyl Wine Bar. And historically, they had like all these pizza pop-ups. So I worked the pizza pop-up for a different company for like a summer, uh, summer of 2017 into the fall. And then I got a couple different jobs, started doing like private events. There's like these cooking platforms where like, you know, a chef can put a menu online. People can buy tickets to, the, to, that, to that menu or that eating event. So I did those. And then I found out that the restaurant that was running, the pizza place that was running the pop-up was leaving the pop-up. So I knew the owner of the place that, hey, can I take over? I have my own idea for how I'm going to make pizza. And then I would just literally make like 20 to 30 kilos of dough in a Lexan by hand in the basement of this place. And the first couple weeks I sold like no pizzas and it was like encouraging. <laughs> but then I started pushing my Instagram, taking better pictures and reaching out to people here and there and the, the word spread a bit and started to get a bit popular. And then Danny and I started talking about our idea. So we decided to partner and like turn the round pizza one into the square pizza one. But also there's just like, Danny talks about this all the time. It's hard. There's a liquor license out here. Sometimes requires you to have food. Um, breweries want people to come and make food to keep people there drinking longer. Right. All sorts of opportunities. You email breweries and say, Hey, I have a rock box or an uni oven. I'll show up and make pies. Those are all things we did. Yeah, a lot of people partner with breweries. We've had a lot of food trucks on here or even people who have started out. Maybe they do have a brick and mortar now like you guys, but they started out as just pop-ups or mobile units, and they all seem to start at breweries. So there must be a ton of breweries around the country. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I know my girlfriend worked in beer for a while, and there's this like bubble that's kind of happening where it's like everyone opens a microbrewery right now. Right. At a certain point, it's going gonna, it's gonna to burst, but until then... I think there's five or six within like a 10 block radius of our restaurant right now yeah. that would fall into the type of brewery that we would proposition to host one of our pop-ups and very few of them have food because if you're, you know, you're trying to make money on beer, so you're not going to build out a kitchen. If that means you have one less fermentation. Tank. So, right. you know, it's 
space is tight in the Bay Area. So. When you said so, let me just uh, when you said something, you said you started your first pop up. Nobody came. Why was that? Was it just not enough advertising, or nobody knew it was there, or they didn't do a good job of promoting it? Uh, uh, well, I mean, I'm very grateful to the bar, so I won't say anything bad about the bar. <laughs> well, you didn't say their name. They probably won't listen to this podcast. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I you mean, don't have to say job. their name, but like, just explain to like, because I, I, I want to get because like you said, it did it discouraged you a little bit, but it didn't stop you from doing what you're doing. And a lot of people totally. maybe stop. No, no, I was talking about vinyl at the yeah. beginning of vinyl. Yeah. No, also the name. I mean, they know. Like, it's not like the owner. The owner. He was, missed his money before three, right? right. Like, he's yeah. got a, a killer coffee breakfast morning business. Anything else at night is just to, like, put some cash in his pocket. Right. So, in his mind, he was, like, giving doing me a favor, which, frankly, he was. Right. Because um, all said and done, it, it wasn't exactly, like, legal by the health board, you know? So, we, we were just kind of <laughs> But we were just underground pizza guys for a while. Right. Uh, I don't know. You don't know. Do people just didn't know? Instagram really covers, especially in San Francisco, it covers a a pretty awesome demographic, but they're not always there. They're not always uh, looking for pop-ups necessarily. And you kind of have to be like the thing that's hot to get the attention on Instagram. And it takes a while to build it out. So you do have to keep sort of pushing along. Um, And I think I was in the beginning, even though, not many people came. Uh, I have really supportive friends who did come, but then told their friends, and it just started to grow, uh, albeit slow at first, but then a lot faster a couple months into it. Yeah, and then now you guys are doing square pies. Yeah. I, I also think there's nothing against Mark because he's an incredibly talented pizza maker, but it's not like a person who had another job that really wanted to return to like their New York roots making pizza was a new story in San Francisco. Right. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't a brand new, like call it a position, whatever you will. Like Mark's story is compelling because he's one of my best friends and like he makes really good pizza, but it's not like people were like, Oh my God, finally someone from the East coast is making pizza the way we're right. Because like literally three other vendors came out of that pop-up and did something. Well, they weren't called eat, but there's like a meat cheese. There's a lot of like there's I mean, there's a, I was talking to someone on Instagram the other day. He was in LA who flies their dough from Brooklyn since 1980 or something. What's the name and of that I, place? Uh, La, La Marcas or something or something like that. But it, it was amazing because like, I think they've been around for, you know, almost 40 years now since the early eighties. Um, but their whole tagline on Instagram is we fly our dough from Brooklyn. So I like commented, I said, you guys fly your dough every day. They're like, yep, straight from Brooklyn. And it's just like, I guess I see how that, you know, before the internet and before people knew, like what good pizza was in the West Coast or what West Coast pizza could be, that's was, a huge marketing. That was smart pizza marketing 20 years ago, right? right. Like 30 years ago. That's well, Mangieri was just in San Francisco for a while. What's that? Anthony, yeah, yeah. yeah, Anthony Mangieri was was in yeah. New York, yeah. then he moved to San Francisco, now he's back in New York. Right, exactly. I went before he closed, I got like five pies for three people. Yeah, he's he's pretty, he, I mean, so he didn't fly his dough in. He, still, he, he did the same thing. He's, he you know, he transitioned from being in New York to being in San Francisco and you have to adjust your recipe and check the flour that's going there. But I mean, he pretty much made the same pizza that he was making all along in New York in San Francisco using the, yeah. the ingredients that are available to him there. He wasn't flying his water and dough in from Brooklyn. No, right. I mean, I think there's, there's actually probably better flour on the West Coast. Better flour. I mean, better, like the produce in New York came from California. So why right. would you wait? Why would you go across the country to schlep it there, you know? So uh, let's let's get into so you guys did the pop up for a while. Now you opened your brick and mortar. First of all, where did you learn how to make? So you're making Detroit style pizza. Is that am I right about that? Yeah. Yep. Where did you guys learn how to make that? Was it just trial and error, or did you go to a specific yeah. place? Like we literally taught ourselves. Like Mark Mark had an idea. I did a pizza project at my consultancy job, kind of like as we were fomenting the idea for this business. So I had some idea of like what a a scalable pizza operation could be and like yep. what it, I had done a big sourcing exercise. We both read the pizza Bible, which has a recipe for it. Yeah. And then and like forkish, forkish and like serious eats. And like, you look at all the recipes on the internet, Mark had an idea for what the dough should be like. I think we both agreed that cheddar would be a cool way to edge the, the pizza. And then it was like Mark made dough one day. He was out of town for our first like official pop-up. Myself and a buddy that had like worked a couple events with Mark just made the pizza. Like it was, it was that simple. We're like, these are the four pizzas we're gonna make. That was it. Yeah. That I, sounds, mean, I, think, I mean, I yeah. think you guys are making it sound pretty easy. I, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take a step back and say easy. that I had been working on it since 
since January of 2018, and we didn't launch the pop up until September of 2018. Okay, so you were oh, you were wow. formulating your recipe trial and error for those nine yeah, months. Playing with different pans, with different temperatures, with you know each time. Honestly, yeah, using Instagram as a resource, reaching out to certain folks. I think there's a vendor here <laughs> reaching out. Where's Sarah? Where are you, brother? That's fine. Uh, reaching out to certain folks to uh, to get feedback on the recipe to ask about pans and that's the cool thing about pizza that's how like you all of us are talking now is like there's a community of people on instagram who want to help each other who want to teach each other who want to like share thoughts about what pizza should be or what pizza can be and for sure that helped me get to where we are and, and us get to where we are so definitely i think that you know you got to trial and error you got to make sure that people like it and it's a good product and uh, it's hard. Like that's the hard part. There is a lot of competition. You look on. I think pizza is the number one photographed food on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, so you you know you look up the hashtag pizza or pizza time or whatever it is. Is you know five million followers to just that one hashtag. So there's a lot of competition out there. If that's your space, you got to make sure that you're different. But not only are you different, but you got to be good as well. And you got to back it up. You got to back up whatever you say. You got to back that up with actual facts of your pizza can look pretty on Instagram, but it's got to taste good when someone buys it. Yeah, I think the other thing too is like we we did trial here throughout the pop up, and then we opened this brick and mortar, and we've changed our dough process significantly. Yeah, we're this is week three. Like today will be our third our third Tuesday open to the public, so it is a lot of trial and error. What did you, um, well, so when did you guys open your your brick and mortar? July sixteenth. When did you so you transitioned? Like when did you realize that you wanted to open a brick and mortar? Because a lot of people uh, just have a mobile unit and they just want to stay there. What made you want to have a brick and mortar after being a mobile? I think yeah, I think we both. So we we both kept our day jobs through May. Um, we signed the lease to this place in April. Oh wow! So we had been like living. We have been like really. I would I would say overextending ourselves for a little bit of time and just pushing on this. We believed in it. We saw that people really like when, at, towards the last couple of months of the pop up, we kept increasing our dough production and it would just keep selling out every Thursday and Friday. So people, and then any brewery we'd show up to, they would sell out right away. So it's just like, we kind of knew we had something and we knew that we could make it into like a business that could be our livelihoods, our careers, but we just needed to find the right place. Yep. We started looking probably in the end of December. And then we were actually at Pizza Expo negotiating with the landlord and like crossing our fingers, hoping that he would agree. And uh, I didn't like, we were in Vegas. I didn't really sleep. I was just like waiting to hear back. <laughs> uh, yeah. I and, mean, so how did you pick a location? Like what made you, what would you look for in the location that you, you found? We were trying to find something turnkey because we didn't, we, we obviously, we have some investment from friends and family, um, some folks that we met who were customers of ours, the pop up who supported us, which really, those those investors are pretty rewarding because like we we've only known them for less than a year. They that's interesting. Met, yeah, believed in us enough. Um, and this is you know we're lucky. Like it's a big city. There's a lot of people that have really successful careers that sort of buy into the romance of like what we're doing. You know, starting two guys starting from sort of nothing without the, necessarily the right backgrounds. Like I'm from tech. I mean, Danny is definitely in the culinary world and has worked in, in the restaurant business and as a consultant, but doesn't really have a background in pizza per se. So right. seeing two guys like just go for something, people really bought into that. So we knew, but that, that said, we knew we didn't have enough money to take a place that was, you know, gutted and built it out from scratch. So we tried to find a turnkey restaurant and, you know, there were a lot of different ones that we saw, but they all had different levels of, of needs. Like some of them, weren't compliant for like ADA or, or handicap regulation. So we'd have to put a ton of money in to get certified or some of them had just like all the wrong equipment or like were rotted in the back or just needed a ton of cosmetic work. Um, some of them, the landlords wanted insane amounts of money for bad locations. So we, we dodged a bunch of potential, you know, landmines. And then we were lucky. We, we just kept scouring Craigslist. We found this place come up in February, a restaurant owner that is like really famous in the city a really awesome sandwich shop out here he tried a concept it didn't work out and needed to get out of the space quickly and we knew him through a couple of different friends and spoke to him and put us in touch with the landlord and we i think we were like the first people to see it wow saw it and like danny and i like got in our car and like sat there and we we're like we need to get that place so like 10 minutes later called the landlord and said hey we want to we want to get an application and at that point we had a, we had raised like 
maybe 10% of what we were, what we raised now. So we barely had enough to like sign the lease, but we just said, fuck it. Because it was interesting too, trying to raise money without a location. A lot of people were like, oh yeah, when you get a, when you get a lease, let us know. But it's like, Hey, we can't sign a lease without any investment money. Right. So well, we knew we, we had to take a risk one way or other. We either had to be like, Hey, you have trying to convince people to believe in us to get the right place or be like, Hey, you have the right place. Now you, you've said in the past, if you, you give us money, when we have the place. So let me ask you a question about that. So when you, when you take uh, on investors, if it's friends and family, or if it's, you know, if it's someone investing in your company as an investor, obviously there's pretty good parameters as to what you can do. But like, if someone's like a friend or a family, do they just lend you money at an interest rate or do they, you give them a piece of the business or like, how does that work? Yeah, we, we, we gave them a piece of the business because, um, you know, it's, it's interesting how you could structure debt in the business. We didn't want to necessarily want to put a lot of debt on our books. Right. Um, we wanted, we wanted people who really believed in us and who saw the upside and kind of what our bigger vision is for square pie guys. So that's, that's kind of how we went out and spoke to them. I mean, I think those people would have been willing. I, I had some people who were like, yeah, I'll give you a loan, but I don't think we didn't necessarily want a loan in those terms. Right. I mean, there's also, so there's like traditionally the way the way that traditionally restaurant financing is structured, at least for like fine dining restaurants, is a chef has like worked for another chef for a long time, ready to open. They probably get introduced to some investors from that chef, their friends and family, blah, blah. They take in like a whole bunch of small chunks of cash that essentially are paid back out of the proceeds of the restaurant before the owner starts really taking their profits on. So like they'll pay themselves a salary, but the way that our lawyers originally suggested we structure it was to give away 30% of lifetime equity of the profits, like 30% of like the lifetime profits, but pay the investors back till they hit their original investment at 70% of the proceeds. So we were making, I don't know, 200 K a year in profit, 140 of that would go to the investors till they recoup their original investment investment. And then it would flip. To like 30% for perpetuity. Got it. Um, one thing about that is it essentially creates an operating agreement where you're required to take cash out of the business. And like whether or not this is right or wrong, like we're pretty upfront about the fact that we're trying to scale our business and we want to have multiple locations as quickly as makes sense to maintain the quality of our product and the experience for our guests. And so by restructuring it in a way where we gave away just straight ownership and didn't necessarily have that like built-in requirement for payback, at least at a contractual level, we allowed ourselves to say, Hey, like if we have a good year, we can take all this cash that's like flowing into the business and put that towards opening a second location instead of saying like, Oh, here we have to pay you back. Right. And every investor that we talked to once we like kind of gave them the option was, was on board with that second. That's good. Do they have any say in like the decisions making process of the business or do you guys have full ownership in that? I mean, we're still, to be honest with you, we're still codifying the OA, but most of our investors are pretty much want us want to be hands, hands up. up. I mean, I think to all all of what Danny's saying in terms of structure, just basically boils down to they want to be part of the ride from start to finish. They didn't want to just invest in like one location or just give a loan and then get paid back. Right. They want to see this thing grow to what we all think it can be, uh, versus just being like, hey, here's money, like pay me back, you know? <laughs> right. Now, what, so you guys have been open for three weeks now. What's the biggest challenge or the biggest difference between what you did before and what you're doing now having a brick-and-mortar location? Oh, man. I don't know. How much time do we have? <laughs> we, got a few, we, we got some time. Um, I, you want to go? I, I mean, there's just so many things. I mean, Danny, like one thing that Danny mentioned was scaling up our dough recipe. I mean, we had made a lot of dough before, but just because of sort of how the pop-ups worked – we had a couple different locations that gave us the access to a, a Hobart mixer. So we'd mix it in the past we'd, in the, for the pop-ups, we'd mix it in one place, let it ferment in a walk-in fridge there, and then transport it to the location, which did interesting things to the dough, but also just gave it a lot more time to ferment. Whereas here, we're like mixing it here, where we don't have as much walk-in space because we have to also account for all the rest right. of the food in the menu. Right. We have a lot of Which is different. It's different. It's in a different way. But basically... All this to say that I learned that our dough, our original dough recipe doesn't necessarily work for the restaurant. And the first week was really like, per, like personally upsetting to me. This is my, this is like goes into my relationship with pizza dough, which is a weird thing to talk about, I guess. But 
yeah, it made me like actually very sad to see the dough not perform the way that we knew it could or that it had in the past. But thankfully, most most of the customers, I, I don't think really noticed too much. Some people from the industry came and, and ate with us and sort of, I saw them notice. But now we figured it out and everything's great again. But there was just a couple of days where I'm like, oh my God, our restaurant is doomed. Our pizza dough is never going to be the same. So there's all that. I mean, there's managing labor as we Danny's been doing as we're taking doing the podcast. There's hiring people, learning about the intricacies of the different types of people you can hire and how they all get paid. Um, That's been hard, yeah. Now, now, I know you guys have said you were in different. You're in the tech background, and I know Danny said he was in the restaurant space before. Was hiring or the process of training employees in either of your backgrounds? Um, yeah, and I I had managed small like sales teams, but also it's interesting because the, the software product I sold for several years was to large restaurant groups to help them schedule their hourly labor. So that was the- <laughs> I sold. So like I do now fortunately have a pretty deep knowledge of like labor laws and compliance laws which helps us mark's like make make sure they take their break yeah (laughs) but um now danny has managed people in the kitchen for sure yeah i mean that's that's my that's the majority of my career um i worked in fine dining restaurants and then i got tired of that kind of pivoted into some more startups and tech tech work and then my last job kind of pivoted a little bit closer back towards it with the eventual goal to open my own business i didn't know it was going to be a restaurant it's hard uh, i think the employee the employee factor for me at least the this is the number one question that i get asked about even though it's about a, it's like a uh, more of a pizza and marketing podcast but the right. majority of people regardless of location is right employees like that's the hardest thing that people are having a hard time with right now that, that may change as the economy changes obviously we're in a great economy we've been in a good economy for a long time where unemployment's real low Maybe five years from now that'll change, and employee will will uh, employees will be easier to find. But not if the minimum wage keeps going up. I mean, I know you guys are in California. I think I was talking to Mark before we got started here. Minimum wage there for you guys is fifteen dollars an hour. I'm in Boston, so in Boston it's twelve. Yeah, in San Francisco, our minimum wage is fifteen fifty nine. Yeah, I mean that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy to think about. And I don't want to get into the whole politic discussion about living wages or anything because I think that that's crap. I hate the living wage thing because there's certain jobs that i think you shouldn't expect to make a living wage on like i think you should be paid accordingly for the job that you're doing Um, but there's just some industries like my nephew gets carriages at the local grocery store and makes 12 bucks an hour like that is not a job you should be making 12 dollars an hour for i mean look mark and i bonded over a joe rogan podcast because we both agreed that like our own destiny is in our hands. Yeah, so totally. I totally it. try to motivate people and try to make them realize on a daily basis, like, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But yeah. I'm telling you, if you are willing to put in the work, and it could take you a lot longer than you think it's going to. Like, right. anything is possible, no matter if you live in this country. I can't talk to other people who live in other countries because I don't live there. But if you live in America yeah. right now, anything is possible. Anything is possible as long as you're willing to put in the time and or the work. Yeah, look, I mean, and, it's a, and, and you can like be off with yourself and shake some shit loose, and I yeah. think that's where a lot of people get stuck. Yeah, it's like they've never had that example of like how to really confront what's holding you back. Right. There's always there is always external factors yeah, that prevent doubt. people, but there's like the internal shit is what you need to overcome. Totally. But like, I, I guess my thing, and maybe and and maybe I'm making it too simple, and uh, I don't know. I guess those people that can't motivate themselves, what what do we do with them? Where do they go? I think that the education system could do a better job of motivating people. And like, I think that like I try to take, I try to teach my kids that you have to go to school. It's the law, but learning, I think people correlate learning with school. And just because you graduate school doesn't mean you did a good job of learning and you can learn when you're not in school. And it's teachers have a tough job right now because teachers have to teach kids to remember things, to take a test so that they can right. pass to the next year rather than Yeah, like like my daughter goes to a trade school. Like when I was in high school, if I went to a trade school at my age, you were a loser, right? Right. Like my daughter goes to a trade school and she's getting to put her hands in different jars and seeing what she likes to do. So that way when she does take that next step to college, it's not just a huge financial burden. She's actually learning something that she wants to do for the rest of yeah, her life. Yeah, totally which is what I think everybody should have the opportunity to do. Like, absolutely. Like learn different things when you're in high school. So you can kind of figure out what you like to do. Yeah. Well, look, I think, and this has nothing to do with pizza anymore, but (laughs) the the school, our education system is very prescriptive. 
It's like you learn math, you learn history. Now you're a person. Nothing in life works that way. Right. Not, not anything in real life works that way. Right. So that's, that you is know, crazy. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. It, it really is nuts. Corporate jobs are like, here, solve this problem. And you're like, what are the tools I have? They're like, solve the problem. And if you do it right enough, you'll get a promotion. Yeah. Maybe that's, I've never worked in a corporate America. Like I've never worked in corporate. I'm an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've only worked for myself and family. I've never like had a job where corporate, I had to get 17 yeses from people before I could do yeah. something. It was always like, let's just figure it out. Like, let's just figure it out. Right. If we do it right, great. If we do it wrong, we'll learn from that and tweak it and right. do it right the next time. Yeah. That's fast. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm similar. I don't think the school existence for me, like when Mark and I met, I was finally had like a nine to five job where I felt like I could start like trying to plug away at a college degree again. And like, Pretty quickly, we started a pop-up, and I was like, "Fuck that!" I'm gonna open it. Yeah, but now, so now let's get back to the pizza thing. You guys open the pizza thing. Yeah. <laughs> we went off a political tangent that we we'll, may or may not keep in there, but let's we'll go back and listen to it. Um, it was a good good conversation. I like a good heated debate. I don't like people who agree with me all the time. I like the pushback, so I enjoy that. Yeah. You're so right. You're so right. Um, <laughs> that's definitely coming out of the podcast right there. <laughs> but all right, so you open now three weeks. You've uh, obviously employees are challenging. Let's get by that the dough has been a challenge for you what have you learned like what do you, if you could go back in time what is something that you think that you you wish you would have known that you could have changed or you're changing now because you have learned for a bit since you've been open oh man i mean i think we're and this is ongoing learning but just like learning to hand things this is my maybe a little more personal to me but learning to hand things off and trust people like i still i still make the dough and like every day danny's like when are you going to hand it off to our guys right. um because there are there are things that, that we need to do like we are in a bit of a void in the city where there aren't a lot of, there's some very high end restaurants or some very low end restaurants. There's nothing that's like a cool neighborhood spot, which I think we fill that gap right now. How many seats do you guys have in there? Uh, 50. We're zoned for 50, but we also have an upstairs mezzanine that can probably see another like 30. Yeah. We'll have 80 seats. Yeah. So is it like a dine in? Do you have wait staff or do you have just like people come in and order and they go sit down? Plus. So you take your order at a counter, get a number. And the food's brought to your table. Okay. Our, our team is empowered to take orders at the table for like reorders or drinks, things like yeah. that. They have like handhelds. Which which actually, to tie it all back in a way, that's by design, right? Like we we don't want to staff that many people in the front of house. Right. I mean, we'd rather, yeah, we'd rather keep the money in, in the back of the house where we can. Where the people are making the making the product. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and that yeah. way everyone can share in tips and it's not unfair and everyone gets that they're part of the same team and eventually everyone who's willing to be cross-trained on every single position will be um that's that's the goal yeah, it's right. like true, true synergy as a team like true teamwork but but to, to your original question i mean i don't know i i like the question about like going back in time and changing things but i think everything that we've tackled up to this point has been important it's how sort of tackle in their own in their own phase like well there was a we were delayed for a while because we didn't know if we had enough gas for our equipment. Yeah, we used the wrong plumber. Right. It was, was a recommend from a buddy who was a fucking idiot. Yeah. Which is what but, happens all the time. But of even course. then, like we took over the space in April on April fifteenth and we opened July sixteenth. So it's not as if we like held our dicks in our hands when we got this restaurant open. Right. Right. We got open pretty fucking fast. In a yeah. city where notoriously there are delays. Yeah. Um and you got anything? I mean I just I, I think there's like a, you always learn this. Like I did a lot of research before we opened and we like built out this like software platform. There's huge learnings. Like some of our team members, their IDs are like hard for them to get checks cashed because our payroll provider doesn't write it from them, but it like prints a check from our bank account. And we're not a company that the check cashing place recognizes. If you know what I mean? Like yeah, ADP. Yeah cuts checks, Gusto cuts checks from our bank account. So the checks are coming from our LLC. So check cashing places are like, you're not on my approved list of like payroll companies, things like that, that like, how would you ever get that grant? Or, or you can't self onboard with a cell phone, like little things like that. That it's like, could we have thought that? I don't know. I guess that's, I, I guess that most of that stuff is going to come with the experience, right? Like exactly. some, right. some of We're those things you're not going to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you've owned something before and you had to deal with that. Right, 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 which is which is why we're like, okay, this is hopefully this is one of, of many, and then I can do yeah. it, do this better next time. But I guess the things that I would like to do to do better starting soon is a whole bunch of high rise apartments in our neighborhood. It's a whole bunch of tech companies and startups that we want to be able to provide lunch and, and catering and events for. 
Um, and obviously, yeah, this is our third Tuesday open. So we're still in our infancy as a restaurant, but those are the things on like my horizon where, where we're like, Hey, we got to go tackle and get those people to buy food from us ASAP because that'll we, make our business healthy. We knew that was, we knew we were going to do that. And yeah. now it's like, great. We sort of have a crew that can actually keep the food. I mean, we do. We have an incredible crew. We're hiring some like kind of like supervisor level staff. We have the systems in place. Now it's time to take it from like, oh, okay, we're open, we're operating to the next level of like, let's make this restaurant first in the seams. Yeah. That's what, our next. What's your percentage of takeout to dine-in? I think we're like 40, 60 takeout to dine-in right now. 40% takeout? Yeah. But we're also, we didn't, we had a hypothesis, but we didn't realize how true it would be. We're a neighborhood restaurant in yeah. a neighborhood that has been hurting for a neighborhood restaurant. So do you guys we're deliver about, or no? We're going to launch delivery the 13th of August. Are you going to use your own delivery drivers or are you going to outsource it? Outsource. Yeah. So I, I remember you you had your, uh, recently you had a poll about third parties, right? We did a podcast episode where we yeah. were just kind of like going over the pros and cons with, you know, what, we, we had like six different people away? on. Uh, I think the big takeaway was like, if you are a restaurant that doesn't have delivery, outsourcing could be beneficial. Right. When it, the, the, the companies who it's probably not beneficial for is if you see mom and pa delivery uh, companies who have been delivering their own for a long time right. and they have their own delivery drivers, they have the system in place already. Uh, it's probably not beneficial to use those third party sites because you're just going to compete against yourself. But where you guys don't have delivery, like that's a whole process you don't have to worry about figuring out. You can just hire a third party company, you pay them their percentage, and yeah. they, they come and go. Okay. I think it's, yeah. Overhead associated with it, the logistics associated with it, yeah. the like additional like labor needs associated with it. Right. Plus, you guys are in San Francisco. Like all of them came from there. Isn't DoorDash? Didn't DoorDash originate in yeah, San Francisco? They're all here. Yeah. They're all here, and that's what's interesting for us is we. To your point about earlier when you were saying you know you networked, you did the right things to be an entrepreneur. We, we are lucky to have good networks in the industry and got introductions from other restaurants who've negotiated successfully with the third parties. To allow us to negotiate with the third party. So we've been able to get our rate down, which I think is huge. For, yeah, for any, any percentage matters, right? When you're dealing yeah. with percentages, like even 1% is a lot of money if you're doing a million dollars in revenue. Yeah, and we're, we're, not, we're not the most price conscious market. So we know that we can put some kind of a surcharge to recoup that revenue loss onto the menu that we put on. Yeah. And that was part of the negotiation. Well, you guys are, have the advantage of being in San Francisco. And I think the advantage of being in San Francisco is your mark. Like a lot of these other places that I talk to have to educate the market on what these third party services are. You guys are in San Francisco where they all originated from. So the people who yeah. are using them are just used to it. Yeah, absolutely right. You know, it's fascinating. Uh, my friend lives in New Orleans, but for our opening night, she said she wanted to order Domino's delivery for us. And she didn't know this, but our neighborhood is not serviced by a Domino's delivery. There's no delivery Domino's in the downtown neighborhoods of San Francisco. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. I mean, only I don't, yeah, wow. you know what? I'm not, I mean, I, most people in the Midwest would be shocked at that. Me being from Boston, I'm not super surprised. Like uh, where I live, there is a Domino's, but Papa John's, Little Caesars, Pizza Hut have all opened and closed multiple times. It's just not a market that, uh, migrates towards those parties they'd much rather go to like a place like you guys that's like a neighborhood place it's a mom and pop place that opens and it's local people they'd much rather uh, visit those places so i'm not surprised totally. by that yeah now do you do online ordering we yeah, do. yeah. Who, who do you use for your online ordering we toast. Toast. Yeah. Okay. we're also we're a ticketless kitchen except for takeout orders you have bump so screens we're all we're all kdx um there's two expo screens on the end of the line that are kind of like shared between outside and inside. Um, the only time we print tickets is for to-go orders. So we have one ticket printer that gets printed out. Our team member, like we have one team member who owns that. And I'm sure when delivery happens, we might bring on another. But Did you guys start made- like that? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I remember a quick story here. It was back in 2000. So we, we started online ordering back in 2002 when I was in my businesses. Wow. Um, and two things. We used to have a dial-up credit card. We took credit cards back in like 2000. We used to have to literally put somebody on hold, run over to the credit card machine, take their information over the phone, and then it would dial through a modem to get approved. <laughs> the whole process was like three minutes. It was so frustrating on the phone. Um, but then we used to do tickets, right? So on a Friday night, we'd have literally have like 
60 tickets up at a time. And as you're putting stuff in the oven and people are taking them out, you have to mix up the tickets. And then we got these bump screens where you would just redo the, like literally changed our whole business and our whole life. Like you guys love your life with those bump screens. If you don't have them right now and you're just using tickets, I highly suggest you figure out how to get them. Cause it's, yeah, it's life changing when you're in the kitchen. I mean, that was a learning too for us is when we got it, like, and this, is, like, this is kind of what I think Danny's saying sometimes. And this will learn obviously through experience to your point, Bruce, but it's just interesting. Like, the guy on the phone was like, oh, yeah, your bump screen is going to work this way and that way. You're going to send all your tickets, you know, your tickets on the screen through this way and that way. And then we started doing it. And we're like, oh, it, it does work this way. It doesn't work that way. What did you sell us? You know, yeah. so that's yeah. part of it. And it's funny to me because that's what I used to do kind of for a living. So now I'm on the other end of it. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because all these point, yeah, all these point of sale systems, the guys who are like they are tech guys who make technology yeah. for restaurant right. owners but it's like totally different like when you're in the kitchen using the technology way different than when you're in the office and they're they're of course. and they're like demoing it for you it's so of different course. they don't understand that and one thing that works for no. one restaurant doesn't work for another right? right like one thing that like we need would be the worst thing in the world for another restaurant yeah so <laughs> that is true like, you adapt like, right like you adapt it's all yeah so but, but the thing is like what Mark is saying is basically bump screens are the KDS, right? So we wanted to be able to track when orders came, when orders got put in the oven, and then when that individual item walks to the table. But the way it's set up, we can either, the way we had it set up, we could either track it when it went in the oven, or we could track it when it went to the table, or we could track it when the entire ticket sold. And we didn't have a way to break it up into like granular, each different pizza for each table. So. Right. So it's just one way or no way. It was one way or no way. We did find another way that's a little bit harder for a staff that doesn't group each individual item by table. It's just like literally each item is a, a little pop-up yeah, yeah. on the bump screen. Yeah. And that's allowed us to both have the pizza team know when they put something in the oven or the salad station know when they put yeah. something up. And then us on the top on the side know what from the table still has the bump. So we found a workaround, but it was like a, a stressful couple weeks where yeah. we're like, fuck, we just signed a three-year contract and this isn't what we needed to do at all yeah. so and we drill holes and put ethernet cables through every you know yeah you know. yeah i mean that, listen that's the process now but the thing is though like if you guys do really want to expand and the goal is multiple locations like you're going to get all those tweaks out of this one so the yeah, next one know. you're going to perfect yeah. yeah like the only way you're going to do that is by actually opening and serving customers you can exactly. theorize all you want but until you actually do that you never really know which is which is interesting to go back to like the origin of this whole thing is like you know we could have written a business plan and i could have made a couple recipes and we could and a lot of people kind of say okay now i'm gonna open a business but i think doing a pop-up actually taught us a lot and i mean obviously we learn a lot each day here doing the brick and mortar because it's a whole different set of responsibilities a whole different set of stakes but at least we had like at least we went from like single a to double a to triple a to the majors you know like we had a we had a uh gradient to learn within yeah what if you like open what if you like a lot of people make pizza at home and love it i just had a call with somebody yesterday and he's he called me and he's like hey bruce i want to open my own pizzeria and i'm like don't yeah and he's like why i'm like because making pizza at home is much different than making pizza for customers that pay you money absolutely like if you've never done that in your life it's totally different like it's going to be you're going to hate your life if you do that unless you go and do it like you guys did have a pop-up experience the whole business of making pizza for money and then if you enjoy it then then you can expand i mean the other thing too is like this is something i hear a lot is like don't quit your job to do something like start it wait till it looks like it can be successful and then quit your job because we were cash i mean mark had spent some money on some equipment through his round five pizza pop-up that kind of helped like that was one of his big contributions to the business right beyond that we were literally cash flow positive from day one when we launched like every single week we made profit at the pop up. And so that what that allows us to do is spend money on merch. It allows us to spend money on Facebook advertising. We got some credit for that too. It allowed us to like go do fun stuff and we never had any concern like, oh my God, we're going to fail. Like we got to pay our rent because we were paying our rent with our day jobs. Right. And that allowed us to like build our brand in a way that I think was like we didn't have to put take any money out of the business for right. a while. Right. And that really helped. And then when we raised cash, we raised like we didn't raise a huge amount of money because our, our build out wasn't that expensive, but we raised more than we needed to get the restaurant open. Um, hey, Diane, I already did. I already did onions. <laughs> um, 
Sorry, my business partner scheduled a podcast in the middle of prep setting. <laughs> no, no worries. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. Going back to the beginning, did you guys open and it was busy right off the bat? Yeah, for Square Pie Guys, it was. Because I think right around that time, like my round pie pop-up started to get popular. So people knew that there was good pizza in this location. Um, I had done a couple of private events with the Detroit South Pies. So people knew those, I knew you. Yeah, those folks spread the word. But and yeah, then we, leading up to that first week, we had done some promotion. So yeah, that's awesome. We, like a lot of places don't don't have, have that luxury. Yeah, yeah. We sold out our third week, bought more pans, and sold out again like regularly by the end of that like second month. So now you'll have you'll have. So I've opened a few new restaurants, and I know other people have too. You'll have like that. The key for you guys now is you're going to have that whole six to nine month honeymoon period where you're going to get real busy. And then you, it sounds like you got your shit together though, where you're not going to have this happen, but a lot of places have that honeymoon period and then it just drops off and then you try to get it back. If you make mistakes or you don't have your staff handle it probably, or you can't handle the incoming orders, um, you know, you'll get the six, nine month period where it's really good growth. And then all of a sudden kind of it can drop off. Hopefully it doesn't yeah. for you guys. But yeah. it can drop that's, off, and you got to make sure you can maintain that. That's what that's what scares me. Yeah, me too. Uh, that's why we're trying to get delivery up. That's why we're trying to get office catering in place. You know, if we can and lunch, our neighborhood has not a lot of lunch options. So if we can pay our bills in the lunchtime, and then even if dinner does soften a little bit, I think we'll be okay. Um, but yeah, that's 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 my honestly my biggest fear. And honestly, like we're two weeks in, we've been busy enough. Like we, if we were. Did this level of business is like we did this level of business at our current level of staffing and overhead we'd be a profitable business wouldn't hit our like top line projections but it would be a profitable business yeah but when people are like oh this is your your bump that's what that's what worries me and that's when i'm like okay what do we need to do as restaurant owners to make sure that we're we're kind of guarding against that and make sure we're still getting guests in the door and you know in a lot of ways traditional wisdom has not been correctly applied to us throughout this process like it's hard to open a restaurant in san francisco don't tell us that because our fucking health inspector please don't put this in but he offered to smoke us out so like he's like <laughs> like we haven't had some of the like those things that you hit and so i'm like i'm knocking on wood when's the other shoe gonna try yeah yeah you knock on wood because it's you know something's bound to happen but maybe you guys will get lucky and you'll skate by you know you'll maybe you'll have that period where you just slow and steady growth instead of that whole like uh you know i hope so real spike if it does, I think office catering is big. We built out an operating platform that can not just make pizza well. And so a lot of these office catering platforms, they pay the bills and they'll do what you want. So like, they're like, hey, we want like a Mexican bowl. I don't know that we would ever do that. But if we had to make it work with like office catering to kind of like bump up the cash that's coming in the business, we yeah. We can do that. Yeah. Cool. So get, let's, let's wrap it up here. Let's give, give someone like a piece of advice. If someone's going to thinking about opening a pizzeria or they're having one now, like give someone like what's something uh, words of wisdom that you would give them about opening a restaurant? I mean, you just gotta, I, I would say take, take some small steps, but, but don't ever be afraid to put yourself out there and see if you can do it. Like I don't, 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 don't like a giant leap. Cause that's probably not going to work. But like I said before, like go, go do a, like a, go play single A ball. See if you can play double A ball. <laughs> right. Right. You know, like take, take that path. Cause I think, to the point about the landscape of breweries and, and those things growing, those things are national, like in big towns and small towns, there's craft breweries, there's all these things. There's, you know, it's been cheaper than ever to get a pizza oven that can actually make a ton of pizzas and you can bring it somewhere on a propane tank. You can use that stuff. Don't right. let anyone hold you back. You know, like I, again, and you can put it in the podcast or not. Like I don't, I don't think the first pop-up was above board health wise. Um, not that we were doing anything, the food to make someone sick but we just you know there are regulations yeah of course we just went for it and if i'd rather have to apologize later than ask for permission so i just went for it i agree listen you you gotta you gotta test it right i I think that's great advice like if you have an idea or something you want to do test it out before you invest all your all the money you've saved and your life savings into it because restaurants close every day more restaurants close than stay successfully open even like you said the guy who had your location before you was a successful chef and he had to close the concept so you never exactly. know what could happen. Four, there's actually, we're hoping to, to buck the trend, but there have been four restaurants here, all with either successful chefs or successful restaurant groups that have all flopped here. Um, but again, none of them were doing delivery or takeout. 
none of them are doing something pizza, which is like, right. And also like pizza, to your point, most posted food, like most ordered food. Yeah. It's a category. So, so I, I like it. I think you guys, uh, I wish you guys the best of luck. I feel like you're going to be successful at it. Where can people go follow the journey with you guys? Square pie guys on Instagram. It's just at square pie guys. Um, uh, our website, square Come visit us in San Francisco. Where in San Francisco are you in case we have, oh, I know we have listeners in San Francisco. If they want yeah, to drop so in. We are, are down by the civic center, Bart station, seventh and mission, seventh and mission in, in Selma, South of market street. It's heart the, of, people are euphemistically calling it heart of the city. Yeah. Okay. But it's not yet. Maybe in a couple years. <laughs> all right. We'll link all that up in the show notes. We'll link the website, uh, your Instagram account too. Uh, Danny, Mark, thank you guys so much for taking the time out and joining me on the podcast. It was awesome. Thanks, for All right. Well, thanks so much to Mark and Danny for joining me on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Go check them out. If you missed anything, we'll link everything up in the show notes for this episode. This is episode number 258. Go over to smartpizzamarketing.com. Type in square pie, guys. This will pop up. Go follow them on Instagram, too, because their pies look pretty amazing. So I'm going to have to get my butt over to San Francisco so I can check out some of their amazing pies. Also, check out our mastermind group, smartpizzamarketing.com forward slash mastermind. And also, if you need our help, if you're not a hands-on type of person, but you really want to grow your business, uh, listen, I posted something recently on our Facebook page that says the, the old saying that just create good food and people will come to you is such bad advice in 2019 there is no way in 2019 the younger generation of people and by younger generation i mean 40 or below and that's moving forward is going to just find you because you cook good food they are too busy the world moves too fast you need to be in front of their face constantly in order to get their attention to even have a shot for them to visit your restaurant yes there is going to be those restaurants who do no advertising that have been around since the 70s and 80s. But they're going to be going away soon. Those people who have visited those establishments, their kids don't have the same uh, reminiscence of that restaurant that the parents do. And those kids are going to be the one that are dominating the market. So you need to be in front of their face with Facebook, with Instagram, with TikTok, whatever platform it is moving forward. If you need help doing that, you can do, join our mastermind group or you can reach out to us. We can help you come up with the right copy, and the right platforms to use in your business and help you implement that with advertising to get in front of people's face to dominate your market. Smartpizzamarketing.com forward slash zip is how you do that. Listen, if you have a question, a concern, a topic, a guest you want to hear on the podcast, reach out to me. Bruce at smartpizzamarketing.com is my email address. It goes directly to me. And please leave me a review on iTunes or connect with me on social uh, at Instagram. Uh, Smart Pizza Marketing on Instagram, on TikTok, if that's your thing. I am the Bruce Irving on TikTok. Go follow me on TikTok. We're testing out some stuff. We're doing some experiments. I am not 100% convinced that TikTok is the place for local businesses as of November of 2019. That could change, but I do suggest you go uh, at least reserve your name of your business on the platform in case it does become the next Instagram. But I'm not 100% sure that it is going to become the next Instagram. But we'll talk about that on a future episode. The Bruce Serving on TikTok, at Smart Pizza Marketing on Instagram, and smartpizzamarketing.com for all the show notes and all the links we talked about on this particular episode. All right, guys. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and for your attention, and whatever you're doing. Hope you have a tremendous day and a tremendous week, and we'll see you on the next one.